turn it to the book of Matthew. We'll be back in chapter 1 for our Advent series this year. As you're turning there, I, I failed to do this at the beginning of the service. I just uh, want to say thank you to all those who showed up on Monday, I believe, to decorate the sanctuary. Um, it looks great, and um, thank you all for doing that. Before I read this, just a reminder, Jamie preached last week on the genealogy of Matthew and did a fantastic job. If you've never heard a sermon on the genealogy and if you perhaps maybe are like a lot of people, maybe me included at times, you get to that chapter one of Matthew and you just (laughs) move on over. Uh, Let's get to the good stuff. You're really missing out, and Jamie did a wonderful job of um, showing us how important this is, and, and Matthew's going to continue with that conversation, as, you, as it were, into our text this morning. Um, but by reminder, um, just one thing just to remind us about from this genealogy is that it's, it's not a, it's a very strange genealogy, put it that way. Um, it's not who you would think would be in the line of the king of all kings, and I, think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that in one sense it, it would be like reading a genealogy, if I could go back to the text, that, that read you know, like this, the book of um, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and so-and-so the father of Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so the father of Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, the father of Kelly, and you're like, who is Kelly? And that's the point. She's a nobody. That's how this genealogy genealogy reads, especially as we get to Ahaz, who's in there. And we'll talk about that today because Ahaz was horrible. But what's the point? Well, one, God works through and in the midst of sinners in order to accomplish his purposes. That's what we saw last week, and we're going to see that again this morning. He works through and in the midst of sinners in order to accomplish his purposes. But second, nothing, nothing stops God's plans and his purposes from coming true. Not your sin, not my sin, not the sin of this world. Jesus has come to deliver us in spite of ourselves. Now, if that's true, what should that do for us? that's my question for us. Let's see what Matthew has to say as we begin in verse 18. We'll read the 23. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken 
by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do a miracle this morning, and by miracle that you would soften hardened hearts, that you would open our eyes and our ears by your Spirit, that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not, that we would see Jesus. We would see the beauties that are his grace and his mercy, and that we would desire it and nothing else. We pray this in his name. Amen. Is there somebody in your life that when you're with this person, you just feel better? Maybe it's about yourself. Maybe you feel safer. I don't know. Maybe something changes, right? Maybe maybe it's a a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a a grandparent. Um, You're just around this person and you feel protected, safe in a sense, that things are going to be okay. Or there's a, there's a sense of confidence that comes when you're maybe with a friend that as long as you two are together, you know, we can take on anything. There's somebody in your life that when you're with them, things just seem to feel better. I have an older brother who's three years old, and he said this, not to me, but he said this to me about somebody else. Think about this for a second, but... He said that I, I just, I always love it when Sam is around. And uh, my brother and I went to the same college, and Sam was a friend that my brother made while he was there. And I, th- I think what my brother actually meant was he feels safer when Sam's around, because Sam was a, a walk-on football player in college, stood about 6'2", 250 pounds. Um, my brother, on the other hand, was not a walk-on football player. He was about 5'10", 100. 50 pounds soaking wet. Um, And I think what he meant was he liked it when Sam was around because it meant that nobody was going to mess with him. And there was a lot of freedom that came from that. There was a lot of, should we say, fear that was removed um, with whatever they were going to go do together because, well, Sam was here. Sam spent most of his career working in the special forces of being a bouncer at different bars and places like that. He was somebody that you wanted to be around if something was going down. Um, There's something very simple about what my brother is saying, and, and maybe you connected this as well when you thought about that person that you just enjoy being around, and that is who we believe that is with us, right? That changes what we think about ourselves and how we live. Who we believe is with us changes what we think about ourselves and how we live. And the reason it does this is because the presence of another has the ability and the power to drive out fear in our life. The Emmanuel story is many things. But what I want us to see this morning is that it is a story of God with us And because that's true, he comes to drive out the fear in our lives 
as our supreme deliverer, as our savior, and he drives our fear out, not by being 6'2 and 250 pounds, as it were, but he comes to drive out our fear because of his perfect love. As 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The Emmanuel story is a story of perfect love driving out fear because it is a story, friends, of who is with you. For our time this morning, I want us to look at two Emmanuel stories in this account. First is, the, the, is Joseph's Emmanuel story, which takes center stage, but then there's Ahaz's Emmanuel story that we'll turn to. Um, so let's look at that first one in verses 18 to, 20, 18 to 21. Let's look at Joseph's Emmanuel story. Matthew begins this account of Jesus' birth by telling us that Joseph and, and Mary were betrothed or engaged and that they had not, as it, the text says, come together before Mary found out that she was with child. All right, we read at the end of this account, and Matthew's very intentional about this, that Joseph did not even have sexual relations with Mary until she gave birth to Jesus. Now, this is important for at least one reason, especially as we celebrate the incarnation, and that is to ensure that Mary was in fact a virgin. And that the birth of Jesus did in fact come from the Holy Spirit and not Joseph. And so Matthew goes out of his way to make sure that the reader knows that Joseph did not have anything to do with Mary sexually before and even after their marriage until Jesus was born. But this creates a dilemma, whether you are aware of it or not. And that dilemma has everything to do with the genealogy that we looked at last week. See, Jesus is not Joseph's child. But Jesus has to become Joseph's child. And why? Because the Messiah or the Christ, according to the Old Testament, has to come in the line of David. And Joseph, as we read, comes from the line of David, not Mary. See, Luke's account, as was read earlier, spends much more time with Mary's account and, 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 and how she is processing the angel coming to her and telling her she's going to be with child. Matthew, though, gives special attention to Joseph's response because what Matthew is concerned with is how does Jesus actually get into the Davidic line? Joseph must stay with Mary and marry her, and in so doing, he must adopt him and the way that you adopted a child in this day and age is you named him, but must bring him in this way into his family, thus bringing him into the Davidic line. What's the problem? Uh, she's pregnant. And I'm sure that there are dads out there that if their 14-year-old were to come to you and say, Dad, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, I'm a virgin, I don't know that you'd be buying this story. If you are, I've got some oceanfront property in Montana I would love to sell you. But as Matthew kind of brings us into this, Joseph's not buying it either. I mean, he's really wrestling with this. And for good reason, as we'll see. As we look, uh, Matthew gives us a little bit of the behind the scenes of how problematic this will be for him. Where in verse 19, as it says, and her husband Joseph, being a just or righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, very nice of him, resolved to divorce, divorce her quietly. To say Joseph was a just or righteous man is another way of saying that he followed the law. 
And the Jewish law said that Joseph was actually to divorce his wife in the case of adultery and to do so by trial or publicly, which would have ruined Mary socially, leaving her a widow more than likely for the rest of her life, perhaps, and even shaming her in her own community and family. Joseph, of course, having some compassion for her, at least, at least is considering doing this under the table. Matthew wants us to enter into this, and as we do that, we realize this is a really difficult place to be. Don't overlook this. These are real people, real dreams. They have lives. They are in mess with the cultural norms of their day. And this is what God is doing to them at this point. They were betrothed, which is actually a stronger word than engagement in our day. Betrothed is saying this is all but done. The families both agree they are going to get married. The ceremony just hasn't happened yet. This isn't like, hey, such and such, you know, we're, we're just sort of talking about getting married. This isn't that. Right? Everybody knows that this is, this is what's going to happen. And so for it to not go forward would be uh, public hum- humiliation on a level that none of us would want, to put it mildly. Right? But second, just to kind of continue with Joseph and, and, and how Matthew is getting us to understand this from his perspective, right? should Joseph stay with Mary? I don't think it's too far out of the question for him to consider, can I really trust her? Yeah, I'll go along with this story. Sure, I'll marry you. But is it not possible that, that at some point in time down the line, he begins to wonder, is, she, is this really true? And I, and I just say that to say that, you know, was this the way that Joseph wanted his life to, to play out? Is this how he wanted his marriage to be? Lastly, would Joseph's family even accept Mary, even if they both agree that this was something supernatural going on? Probably the biggest component to the story, taking Mary in might cause him to be removed from his family, and thus he might even have to leave town. What would he do for work, et cetera, et cetera? All of this, the text says, and he considered, considered these things. That's kind of where God leaves him. And it's, and it's not the main application of this point, but I think it's worth noting that, that, that you know this space really well, right? God is at work in your life, but there are things that just aren't clear and things that aren't necessarily the, the direction that you want to go in. And sometimes God just sort of leaves us in that place to consider these things, to pray about them. And I take the view that most commentaries do that as we get to verse 20, Joseph has made up his mind before the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream. That no matter what the cost, he will stay with Mary. And this brings us to verse 20, and the angel saying to Joseph, right, Joseph, son of David, what? Do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Do not fear. Do not fear the shame that may come upon you culturally, Joseph. Do not fear what your family might think. Do not fear what you might lose from a reputation standpoint, which could impact other things in your life. Do not fear the loss of your own dreams in pursuit of happiness or what you think that actually is. Do not fear. Why? I am with you. 
because I'm with you. This is Joseph's Emmanuel story. The, the, the angel of the Lord is essentially saying, Joseph, this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You must claim him as your own. By naming him, thus confirming the legal recognition that Jesus is your own son, bringing him into the Davidic line. Why, Joseph? Because this Jesus will save his people from their sins. Talk about a dream. Right, you're over here trying to wrestle with like, the implications of what this is going to look like on Monday morning, right? And here is this, no, no, this is a lot bigger than that. This person, he will save them from their sins. Well, I can imagine that Joseph doesn't have all of his questions answered at this point. He trusts the Lord, and that's the beautiful part of this Emmanuel story. He trusts the Lord. He walks in faith, not by sight. Before ever knowing of a cross that will come for this child, he takes up his own. He denies himself. He dies to whatever dreams that he had, whatever reputation befall him at this point. And he stays with Mary. And he follows the, Lord, the word of the Lord here. It's a beautiful act of faith. And why? Because God is with him. Because God is with him. Do not fear. Do not fear. As I said, there's nothing easy about this. Though looking back, like we know how the story goes, and we might even be tempted to sort of say, man, how neat would it have been to have been Jesus' dad? Pretty cool. And I just would want to say, no, I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be awesome. We forget that these are real people with real emotions and fears that all of us have. And the best that Joseph has to look forward to was watching his son, what, grow up, leave the family business, right? Start calling a bunch of nobodies to follow him. We call that a cult today. All to, what, be arrested and crucified on a cross, If he didn't sign up for the virgin birth scenario that we just described, this is also what's in store for him as well. It's not easy. It's not awesome. Joseph Emmanuel's story is a story of faith, just like your Emmanuel story, which brings me to a point of application before we move on. God with us is never the pronouncement that all will be well in this life. God with us is the assurance that we do not have to fear or live out of fear in this life. It is the origin story of having perfect love drive out fear as we live as followers of Jesus, and Joseph is doing that. Christians are ones who, by faith, are adopted into and take up the cosmic plan of redemption that culminates in the incarnation of Jesus who live out that story before the watching world as Emmanuel comes to dwell in the lives of his followers that they may live lives out of love, not fear. Why? Because God is with them. God is with you. He has come to dwell in you. This is what's true and what we are seeing worked out in Joseph's life in Matthew 1, but it is also true for us today as we uh, think about the fears that drive us and the fears that, that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. Fears of what might happen to our children, right? Fears of what might happen when I lose this job or if I do lose my job. Fears of not having enough money, right? Or maybe fears of having too much money. But even more 
terminal things like fears of cancer and ultimately fears of death, right? He is your Emmanuel in those moments. And what he's saying is that no matter what the cross is telling us is that no matter what comes across the table, no matter what you're going through, while it may not be easy, you don't have to fear or live out of fear in this life because nothing separates you from him. There's a part of that beauty that I'm sure Joseph grabbed I said, I will follow the Lord in this way. I will go, I will take this woman and whatever that means for me, I will marry her and I will adopt this son. God with us is the assurance that we do not have to live out of fear. This is Joseph Emmanuel's story. Matthew, though, sets this Emmanuel story right next to another Emmanuel story that may not be as obvious to us. And that's the story of Ahaz. As we turn to verse 22, the text says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew here is quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. We heard that read in our Advent reading this morning. And while this Old Testament reference might be familiar to us at this time of year, uh, what exactly is the context of that reference? Well, let's look at that. And to do that, we must go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet uh, to the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, primarily in Jerusalem, between the 8th and 7th century or the 700s there. Um, when we pick up the account in chapter 7 of Isaiah, uh, he's speaking to this king, a king named Ahaz. Well, who was King Ahaz? As I've already sort of alluded to, to put it mildly, he was a bad king. Many would say that he wasn't even a believer in the sense that he would say that we would talk about it today. He wasn't a, a born-again Christian, uh, though God sent Isaiah to him to offer this blessing that we read here in chapter 7 of Isaiah. And what's the blessing? God promises to be with Ahaz, to protect him if he stands firm in his faith or gives his life over to God. See, up to this point, Ahaz has turned uh, the southern kingdom into this pagan nation, placing altars of other gods to all corners of Judea. He has made deals with surrounding nations, which was against God's will for Israel uh, from the get-go. Basically, everything that Ahaz is doing as king is the exact opposite of what God's king, his anointed, should be doing. But God goes to him anyway, and that's where Isaiah comes in. At this particular time that God sends Isaiah to Ahaz, there are two neighboring kings, uh, Pekah, king of the northern tribe of Israel, and Rezan, king of Aram, or Syria. And they have invaded the southern kingdom and have marched towards Jerusalem. All right? So um, think, about, think about Ukraine for a second. All right, this is uh, Poland and Turkey from the west coming in um, and invading Ukraine. And what do you do if you're the king there, right? You, you want to figure out where's my support, right? You get worried. Who's going to deliver me? And, and this, is what, this is where Ahaz is as Isaiah comes to him. Um, 
as we look at verses uh, 1 and 2 in chapter 7, don't turn there. Um, the text says that because of this, because of these uh, kings coming in and invading Ju- Judah, the hearts of Israel and Ahaz trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. In other words, they were afraid. But this is the story of Israel from the beginning, isn't it? If I could just sort of eddy here for a second. right? <laughs> They've always been outnumbered. They've always been outmanned, outgunned and outplanned. Right? But God is in the middle, right, or has put them in the middle of civilization for this exact reason. That they would not depend or rely on the ways of men to protect them, but what? On Yahweh himself. And in so doing, by acting in faith in this unique way, the nations would come to know and believe that the God of Israel is the one true God. This was their mission. This is not a a new story uh, to have other nations coming in and to desire protection. So God has sent Isaiah to Ahaz saying, I will be with you. But Ahaz refuses. And sort of in a, it's, it's hard as you read the text, but it says that God sent Isaiah again, again, he came to Ahaz. And, and, and almost it feels like a, a second time, though it's hard to tell if this is not all in the same sort of interaction. But in the second time, God tells Ahaz, hey, I, I will promise you that I will be with you. And, 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 and to promise you, I'll give you a sign a sign of my protection and delivery, if you trust me. And this is where our verse comes from. As we read it um, in, in uh, chapter, chapter 7, verse 10. Where did it go? Oh, there it is. Verse 13, sorry. He said... Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. In other words, Ahaz, whether you want a sign or not, I'm going to give you a sign. And whether you want me to be with you or not, I'm going to be with you. See, this sign of Emmanuel, as we come to this Emmanuel story, this God with us, it actually cuts both ways. It will be a blessing to those who receive it by faith or a curse to those who do not. But either way, all must deal with Yahweh. And since Ahaz has refused it, Isaiah goes on to tell us, and we heard this in the reading, that this sign then will be a curse to Ahaz. The text says in summary that before the boy knows right from wrong, the two kings attacking Ahaz right now, uh, Pekah and Razan, they will be destroyed. But after that, and this is in verse 17, God will bring Assyria and his judgment upon you. Assyria will come on you like plagues of flies, like bees swarming, like a raging river sweeping over the land. As one commentary writes, God had offered Ahaz a gentle deliverance, but Ahaz wanted a mighty warrior. Well, if Assyria is what Ahaz wants, then Assyria is what Ahaz will get. And this is what God does. And in his refusing to trust Yahweh, right, the blessing, the sign becomes a curse. And so Assyria then comes in as judgment upon Ahaz and Judah. In other words, there's no escaping the God who is with us. This is the Ahaz story. Ahaz is Emmanuel's story. Same God. Same offer of protection, one completely different response. 
But I didn't, I didn't read this. What were the words that Isaiah said? What were the words of God to Ahaz as he comes to him? Look back in chapter 7. I think it's verse 10. Do not fear. Do not fear. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your hearts be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. In other words, Ahaz, trust me. Trust me. I am with you. I am your Emmanuel. Do not fear. As we step back and we look at both, in, uh, both of these Emmanuel stories, I think it's fascinating that God commands both uh, the carpenter Joseph and the king Ahaz, right, to not fear. And though Joseph and Ahaz are in different circumstances, fear is clear, clearly driving their behavior. Joseph and the fear of what others will think of him and Ahaz fear being conquered by those neighboring countries or armies Right, legitimate fears, no doubt, but this is where God meets them. And the same is true for you this morning. Your Emmanuel story is their Emmanuel story. God promises to be with you, to meet you where you are, which is in the cradle of your fears this morning. And what he intends to do is not to remove you from your circumstances, to even remove you from those fears, although he might, right? But it's actually his intentions are to meet you in them and for you to meet him. To know of his protection, to know of his deliverance, to know of his goodness to you, that you don't have to actually live out of this fear anymore. Why? Because he is with you. His perfect love drives out this fear and what is this sign of Emmanuel that Isaiah speaks of, right? It is Christ. It is the one who has arrived in the arms of a man named Joseph as we come back to Matthew and where Joseph wrestled with the potential shame that he might endure by taking Mary as his wife and where Ahaz sought refuge in the arms of another. Jesus endures what the fullness of the shame that comes from dying on a cross. Why? So that you and I could experience right, the, the refuge, the protection of being delivered from our sins. And now his promise is that he will be with you always till the end of the age. It's, it's, it's no surprise that Matthew sort of bookends his gospel from the beginning to the end, right? As we get to chapter 28, right, which is the, um, you know, the Great Commission. What does he say there at the end? And I will be with you always to the end of the age. And what's the purpose of this? That his perfect love demonstrated on the cross for us, drives out our fear because he's with us and then enables us to move out into this world, sacrificially giving ourselves to our neighbors, to our families, to a, to a world that desperately needs the message of Emmanuel, that God has come here to save his people from their sins. So what does this mean for us today? Right, it means uh, the same as we've been looking at in both of these accounts. God is telling us in the story of Emmanuel, do not fear for I'm with you. And that is our takeaway. So, What are your fears this morning? To put it bluntly, we all got them. Are, are we stopping long enough, right, just to actually deal with the noises inside of our head? Or are we just ticking along, right, staying busy, 
especially at this time of the year. Never getting in the car without hitting the radio, right? Got to be talking to somebody, anything, so that I don't have to be by myself and deal with the things that I don't want to deal with, which are rooted in fear. And God's Emmanuel, right, his word to you this morning is not to shame you that that's, that that's what's going on. His, his, his word to you this morning is to say, that's where I'm meeting you. You don't have to live out of the fear that these things cause because I'm with you. I'm with you. What are your fears? Where where do you go when things get tough or when things are not working as, as you want them to? What is your refuge and how would the story of Emmanuel change that? One takeaway this morning as we hold both of these stories together is that nothing stops God's plans from moving forward. I said that at the beginning. Say it again. Nothing stops his plans from moving forward. Not even the apostasy of Ahaz. God works through sinful, messy people even though those who don't believe so that his promises of being with us would be met for those who do. Nothing stops God's plans and his promises from going forward, which also means Right, which also means that we, um, as we, that as we bring this into our lives today, no amount of sin or apostasy or slide of the culture at large is going to keep God's promises to his church from happening. So that eradicates a lot of fear for us this morning. But even goes further, right, it also means that our sin, right, the things that bring you guilt and shame this morning, this doesn't have the power of separating you from Christ. He is your Emmanuel. And as we said in our confession, right, with this fear, this perfect love that drives out fear, it causes us, right, not to retreat and and hide in silence of the shame and the guilt that our sin brings upon us. It actually is the invitation to bring this to him. We may walk in truth. Walk as he has called us in the manner that he has called us to as his people. To Christians, this also means that for God's elect, right, your sin does not have the last word. And for some of us here, that is our biggest fear. I'm a big phony. And there's a part of that where I can say, yeah, you are a phony. Like, we all know, like, I'm a phony. Like, I, I have nothing but grace to rest upon. And I will point to this table for my salvation till the day I die. If you think I have it, all figured out, if you think that I am living right every single moment of the day, then I will just go back to that oceanfront property in Montana. Right? So, so be free of that. Stop, stop trying to live a life where you're trying to, 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 to remind people and prove to people that, no, that this is the person that I am. Which at the same time is saying, I don't need this table. I don't need the sacrifice of Jesus in my life in order to, to be made clean but I can say one thing that I know is probably most definitely true you are riddled with fear fear of being found out fear of wondering what what will happen if I don't get this under control and the Emmanuel story says you have got to rest in me let my perfect love drive out that fear For I am the one who has come to bring forgiveness, to die for the sins of his people. 
There's several other points of application, but we're running long on time. I'll leave you this with, with one more. As, as I alluded to in the Emmanuel story of Ahaz, right? One implication of this text that I think is important to mention before we leave is, is that there is no escaping God with us. And this is a message to both Christians and non-Christians here this morning. As we saw with Ahaz, whether we, whether we want Jesus or not, whether we want this sign, right, whether we want God to be with us or not, it's actually not, we don't have the power to get away from it. And that, that blessing, right, that sign, it cuts both ways. It's either blessing to those who receive it in faith, it is a curse to those who don't. But there's no escaping Emmanuel. Therefore, the invitation of Emmanuel is God's story is moving forward whether you receive it or not, whether you believe it or not. And the question that I would present to you then is why would you not want to take up the story of Emmanuel, God with us, which culminates in the blessing of forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ? As Dan Doriani puts it this way, the principle of Emmanuel teaches that if we reject God's gracious deliverance and we work something out for ourselves, we may succeed in the short run. But if we refuse his blessing, his sign, he is still present. He's still present to judge. The original Emmanuel prophecy of Isaiah bears a radical message. God is always present, always with us, either to bless or to curse. And so is Jesus saying to you this morning, trust, you, trust me? Is Jesus saying to you this morning, follow me? Do not fear. Or will you seek another way? looking to some other refuge or for some other, some, something else to deliver you, as Ahaz did, because everyone has an Emmanuel story. God comes to us all, whether in the personal lives of Mary and Joseph or on the big stage of global diplomacy as he does with Ahaz and everywhere in between, and his message is the same, do not fear, do not fear. Do not fear what you might have to give up. Do not fear what others might think. You know, I fear what following me will cost you. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. For some of us here this morning who, who are wondering what it would be like to follow Jesus, hear these words. Follow him. Remembering always that he is the God who is with us. And the question I'll leave you with this Advent season at this point in time is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you for Christmas this year? Does he, does he really have the power to remove our fear because of his perfect love? Are you willing to trust that? Are you willing to move in the direction of, of, of what the Emmanuel story means, which God has come to be with you, to live in you, such that you don't have to fear in this lifetime? Though the outcome, though the circumstances we find ourselves in might, might, might be uncertain, right? May not, all might not go well. But the promise of God being with you never ends. With this promise, the promise of Jesus being with us, would it be enough for us as it was for Joseph as he took this baby, took this mother, took this baby, and gave it the name Jesus, thus adopting this child into his family, into his lineage, to be the Savior of the world. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you go with us as we just heard 
both of these accounts, and perhaps maybe how sobering they are, that, that, that you don't leave us. Your sign is a blessing and a curse. And I pray that we would be a people who, um, out of faith, would receive this blessing in Christ. That we would be a people who uh, know and, and taste on a daily basis the, um, the wonders uh, of your joy and of your freedom that comes with your perfect love that drives out our fear. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, whatever fears are looming above us, would you um, be, as you say that you are, with, with us, with, with each of us, that we would know of your salvation, that we'd know of your love for us, that we'd be able to move out as your people as you intend for us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.